I want to talk today about Christian leadership and the reading you've already heard during the worship from 1 John uh, chapter 4, talking about love. Um, my message today is that leadership is love. I've been kind of um, mulling over this idea for uh, a month or so. A few weeks ago, I was at uh, a leadership conference in London, and I got to hear John Maxwell um, speak. And then I also got to be in a, in a room with just a small number of people. We got to ask him questions. And it was a bit of a dream come true, because um, John Maxwell has been a bit of a hero of mine. I've, I've read some of his books. And he's a, he's a guru on leadership. Uh, he actually started out as a Baptist pastor and then felt called to train in the business world. He's a prolific writer of books um, on leadership. And his books are very kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a bit like reading Proverbs, lots of sentences and lots of ideas where you go, oh yeah, that's it. That perfectly sums up um, that idea. And he also um, does training in the corporate uh, world. Uh, and so he was telling us a little bit about this. So um, in my mind, I was going to meet this kind of egghead, brain box, proverb crafting, leadership insight person. And he was all of that. But the other thing that struck me was he was such a lovely man. And not just a lovely man, but such a loving man. And uh, it's, it's hard to fake that kind of identity. It was just so evident in the way he spoke, the way he was, the way he was with people, giving him lifts to meetings, in the things that happened when he wasn't sort of on the stage. It was just so evident that he was a man. More than anything that he has to say or that he knows, he is someone that loves people deeply. Uh, and in fact, during... At one of our sessions when he was trying to talk about giving his answers some things, he was just kind of moved to tears as he was talking about different people and illustrating different ideas. A leadership guru with a heart of love. Uh, last week was Amanda and I, uh, we were at our eldest daughter Kate's uh, wedding. So I, I had the nerve-wracking but wonderful privilege of taking the service and doing a sermon in the wedding. Um, I don't mind making mistakes today, by the way, but at your daughter's wedding, you want to get it all right. You don't want to say the wrong name or anything like that. You want to get it. <laughs> You've got to get all the detail correct because it's never to be forgotten kind of situation. Thankfully, I think everything did work. And I was drawn in the sermon to talk to my daughter and her new son-in-law to speak about, on the subject, the theme of a wedding is love. And I wanted to unpack for them, some ideas about what love can mean. Uh, surprise to me, at, at the same time, uh, Bishop Michael Curry at the royal wedding, with a little bit more exposure than I was having um, on the same day, was also speaking to the whole world and another newly married couple on the theme, the power of love. And actually, his sermon has gone you know, viral. He's on talk shows and tweeting, and it's all over YouTube etc. And also I've been thinking about how we as a community grow and develop. What does our future look like and how do we get there? And next week and the following week we've got two Sundays where we're going to be looking at that in uh, thinking about vision, Vision Sunday. But I want to talk today about the fact that Christian leadership, I think, is all about love. You heard it in the reading. Uh, the reading said God is love. So God 
leads us with love. Love is a method that God himself has chosen by which he is interesting himself into our lives. Love is how God is changing our lives. In that passage we had, uh, the word love appears 15 times, just in a few verses. The word love mentioned 15 times. And as I thought about this, love as an idea and leadership as an idea are often not seen together. They're not seen as two closely associated things. Although the thing um, <laughs> the guys did with the kids, which they're just so in tune with God's heart that they all talked about caring for people and bringing out the best. So that kind of, we hope they'd say things like leaders give orders and, you know, declare war. So anyway, <laughs> imagine they had done that. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, so often we don't think of leadership and love being so closely associated, except in church kids who have been very well brought up to understand these things. I remember reading uh, a few years ago a gender profile, and it was written a long time ago, like 80 years ago. Um, and it was profiling the difference between men and women. And it was saying um, uh, there's like a spectrum, and uh, on the one end is a man, and a man leads. And then on the other end is a, is a woman, and the woman cares and loves. Now, I'm not saying I agree with that. I don't agree with that. But what I'm saying is, that's, that was an idea. Only 80 years ago where people were saying, love is at one end of one spectrum, and leadership is the other end. It's like, it's like the opposite. Love is one thing, and leadership is another. We often, I think, were programmed by a bit of that in society and what we learn and what we hear. We um, tend to think of... Uh, maybe leaders make tough decisions, um, and caring people love. And so we can end up reducing the power of this concept of love to a sort of soppy, huggy, feel-good, rom-com kind of idea that we're desperately trying to sort of say it's really important. And the problem is, of course, we've devalued the power of the true love that God is talking to us about in this passage. The first job of leadership, I think, is to love. Uh, love is the beginning and the end of the process. Uh, leadership in Christian thinking should never be an ambition of its own. It's just a means to an end, and the end is called love. Otherwise, uh, leadership just becomes a pursuit like wanting to be famous in order to be famous. It becomes a benign and an empty exercise. Uh, sometimes I do get people come up to me at meetings and conferences and say, I want to be a leader. And I wonder, I wonder what they're imagining. Is it sort of some kind of pop idol type recognition? Uh, or are they thinking, I want to be a person deeply associated with loving others. What's in that person's mind? Charles Spurgeon, the famous um, Baptist, in one of his lectures to students that were being trained, said this, it's not enough to love preaching. You have to love people as well. When the preacher's praying before the service, is, are they praying that they will do great or that people will be helped? Love, I think, is the essential quality of Christian leadership. 
Jesus loved the world, and thereby he became a great leader. The famous passage, John 3.16, says, God so loved the world, and then it goes on to talk about how the whole world is changed by what Jesus did. It begins with love and leads to life change. Love influences people, and if you influence people, then people will change. If you scan the Bible for um, words like leadership and servant and love, you'll find that leader is mentioned only a handful of times, six times in one translation. The word servant is mentioned over 900 times. The word love mentioned over 700 times. So I want to suggest that the Jesus model of leadership is a servant model of leadership, where leadership happens through love. Mark 10, 45 says this, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And love is desperately needed in our world. Many of the world's problems could be ended by more love. Let's do a little exercise. Um, you don't have to say anything. It's just a show of hands. Um, first of all, can everyone put your hand up? Easy so far. Uh, now I want you to think of a crime. Just in your head, you're not going to have to say it. Just think of a crime. You saw it on TV, newspaper, radio. Happened to somebody you know. Think of a crime. Now I want you, if you can imagine the people in that crime, the person that did the thing, if they had, if you could take the volume of love in their life and just turn it up really high, would that crime still happen? Burglary, rape, murder, theft, violence. And if, if you think through turning up the love volume, it wouldn't have happened, put your hand down. So we've got about one and two. We've got about two and two halves left. That's what I thought. As I scanned the BBC News and I looked at each item on the front page of BBC News, of bad news, and asked the question, could more love have changed this to a different outcome? Uh, the answer was, for more than nine out of 10, yes, that would change it. Love is desperately needed. History bears that out. If you read the history of any uh, revivals, like the Welsh Revival or the Hebrides Revival, uh, lots of incredible things happen, but the aftermath of, of revivals, when there's a sort of spontaneous move of God and lots of people come to faith and experience the love of God in their lives, one of, one of the consequences that's so common is that the police have no work to do and the courts sit empty. So more love could change a whole society in terms of crime and harm and pain and wrongdoing. And it's not, that, it's not that every problem that exists would be solved by that, but so many would be. Things that we read about in the news, here on the news, school shootings and murder, theft, burglary, rape, sexual abuse, all these things would be changed and transformed if every person in the world knew that they were loved and had more love for other people. And even the bigger problems between countries, global poverty and, and war, would be changed with more love. 
poverty, if, if corruption was removed, if, if the absence of generosity was changed, if compassion was increased, then poverty that exists around the world could be changed rapidly. What would happen if uh, President Trump and Kim Jong-un loved each other deeply and just had strong feelings and care for each other? What would happen? Maybe the whole politics of the world and the threat of nuclear bombs going off could be changed by that. And of course, what about the opposite? If it's just hatred or just unkindness or thinking the worst, that will have the opposite effect. And of course, I'm not describing here a sort of soppy, softy kind of love. Um, speaking the truth in love is, is hard. It's, it's, it's maybe like being a surgeon who's cutting away the necrotic tissue, removing something that's dead that's going to cause um, ill health. You know, imagine if you woke up in the middle of an operation. You'd be, you'd be shocked at the experience, wouldn't you? But, but sometimes love is tough in the way it operates. It, it, it cuts close, and it's doing, it's doing a tough love or a hard, a hard effect in our lives. Or if, if, you, if you saw somebody walking across the road and a car's about to hit them and you violently push them out of the way in order to s save them, um, it, it, that's not like a, you know, it's not like you ran up and gave them a hug. You were, you were physically strong and intervening in them. But that, that could be a loving act in itself. Or the child that complains because it's so unfair that you're not going to let them dot, 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 whatever it is. But that's the tough love of a parent that's trying to do the better thing, to try and get a better outcome. Why should we lead with love? We should lead with love because God has first loved us and because we are loved by God. And because we're loved by God, we can enter into this distinctive Jesus way of loving others. And this, of course, is the leadership that every person can exercise. This isn't the role of a few. This is what all can enter into it. Everyone is qualified to this kind of love leadership. You might need an MBA to lead a big company, but all you need is to know that you're loved by God in order to lead others through love. And the hint in the passage that we read is that the more you know this love of God poured out into your life, the more you can lead and pour that out to others. And the early Christian church understood this in, in incredible ways, and it's documented in the history that describes some of the actions uh, of those outside the church um, about them. Tertullian reported that the Romans spoke of the early Christians and said this, see how they love one another. They were distinctive from the rest of society because they loved one another. Justin Martyr sketched Christian love this way. He said, We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else now bring what we have into the common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. But now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Clement of Rome said this, he was describing um, someone who'd come to faith. He said this, He impoverishes himself out of love so that he is certain he may never overlook a brother in need, especially if he knows he can bear poverty better than his brother. 
Likewise, he considers the pain of others as his own pain. And if he suffers any hardship because of having given out of his poverty, he does not complain. Um, during the third century in, in the Roman world, which had Christian communities and communities that weren't, there was a, 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 a plague, a mortal plague that, that spread and lots of people died. And it was recorded by the historians that Christians were the ones who went to people to help them, even at risk of being infected themselves when their neighbors who had no faith would often throw out living relatives who were touched by the marks of the plague into the street so that they would die rather than be infected themselves. Latasius wrote this, um, If we all derive our origin from one man whom God created to save the whole world, we are plainly all one family. Therefore, it must be considered an abomination to hate another human, no matter how guilty he may be. For this reason, God has decreed that we should hate no one, but we should either eliminate hatred so that we can comfort our enemies by reminding them of our mutual relationship. For if we've all been given life from the same God, what else are we but brothers? And because we're brothers, God teaches us never to do evil to one another, but only good giving aid to those who are hungry and experiencing hardship and giving food to those in need. Another famous passage often referred to when we think about love is, is the one in 1 Corinthians 13, often read at weddings. And the words are on the screen. You probably will be familiar with it. And it reminds us as well how important love is as a distinctive characteristic of those that are following Jesus. Verse 13 says this, uh, of faith, hope, and love, love is the greatest. That's quite a statement, isn't it? For people of, for believers, faith's probably quite important. Hope, the, what's ahead, what, what God has planned for you, that's quite important. But the writer's saying, of those three, love should be top of the list. Love is the most important, and it's the one that will ultimately endure beyond the others. The second is that, that love is the test of any activity that we do as a church or as an individual. Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And so the application, the incorporation of love is a test of the value of our works. Third, he says this, that love is greater than spiritual gifts. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, and other spiritual gifts mentioned in the passage are all good, good but love is greater. We can speak in tongues or spiritual gifts all we want, but if we, if we don't have love, then we're just making noise. We're not representing who God is. And fourthly, it, it tells us how practical love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. These are practical, tangible things that we can get a hold of in our own lives. Love does things. It represents a choice. It, it drives us and chooses a better good and an outcome that's better. Um, this lunchtime, we had some people back for lunch. So I was shopping um, in Tesco's um, earlier and uh, uh, I had an amusing experience. Well, amusing for myself because uh, the... I landed at the checkout with the girl who 
I think might be new. Um, and so she was doing the shopping and it was like this. Yeah, you can see where I'm going, yeah? By two, boop, I'm kind of like fuming inside, and I'm like, come on, I've got places to go, people to see, I've got food to cook, and, you know, and I've got my sermon, and I need to read through it, and then I remembered, ah, love is patient. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is like a teaching moment. <laughs> I need to dig deep and find some love for the new girl on the till. And I shouldn't be worrying about people that I'm going to be meeting or talking to later. There's a human being right in front of me now who I have an opportunity to be grumpy with or to be kind to. So uh, I was kind to Sarah um, and treated her like a human being. And I, did, I didn't worry at all how slowly the boop went because love will win. And... Um, I need to go back and invite her on an alpha course soon. <laughs> um, love is practical. Love, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it doesn't it's not proud. There's lots of do nots, there's lots of things that are very, it's not just an airy fairy concept, it's not just a vague feeling, but it's something we can actually give an account for, an assessment for in our lives. Uh, the passage in the middle, the middle of the passage on the screen, it's like a to-do list of how anyone can improve their way of life. Verse 5 says this, love keeps no record of wrongs. This is my prayer for all parking ticket attendants everywhere. You can put the sticker on the car, but just don't keep a record of my wrong. And lastly, love is comprehensive. In just four verses, Paul paints 15 separate portraits describing love. 15 verbs, all of which have love as their subject. Well, I want us to be able to do something practical with this idea of love. And uh, some of you may have heard of something called Love Languages. It was a, a book written by a man called Gary Chapman. He was a psychologist. And he, he kind of figured out that humans, people, um, communicate love in basically five different ways. Uh, and people are different. We're not all the same. Uh, and we all have a natural way in which we perceive being loved. And the ways he described were um, receiving gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and physical touch. And so all of us will gravitate towards one of those. It will be our, it will be our strongest way in which we perceive that we are being shown that somebody loves us or cares for us or respects us or honors who we are. Uh, and if you think about it, you can think of all different ways that, that this happens. Um, I listened to something on the radio the other day where one hospital was recruiting people to come and touch premature babies because they knew that very newly born babies that couldn't, you know, couldn't speak or didn't understand what was happening responded to touch and then the ones that were a little older, they had people that would just talk to them. So before they knew what words meant, people that would just hold them and touch them and speak words to them. And through, through that, the babies thrive. They, could, they can equate 
the improvement, the medical improvement within premature babies to this type of intervention. Um, you could say those babies are perceiving that they're loved before they could, you know, recognize a gift or anything like that, that, that just a simple act of being touched or being spoken to was communicating love to them. And you can tell your love language by how you instinctively show your love or how you would show respect or friendship to another person or maybe what annoys you um, uh, from another person. So, for example, I'm married to uh, Amanda, and I reckon Amanda's love language is acts of service. Um, so I know it'd be all very well for me to rock up with a bunch of flowers, gift, okay, but if I've left the house in a mess, the flowers are meaningless. <laughs> but no flowers and tidy up my mess probably is a good sign I'm showing Amanda, I respect you, I love you. Um, my love language is words of affirmation. Uh, also chocolate, coffee, and <laughs> expensive gifts, <laughs> uh, which aren't on the list at the moment, but mainly words of affirmation. And of course, our love language might be shaped by our need. If you're homeless, your love language might be words of affirmation, but, the, the, but, but how you're shown love might be the attention to your greatest need at that moment. It might be food or shelter that you need. This idea of love languages by Gary Chapman was first applied to marriage, but then he applied it to parenting and to business, and it's, the book has been sort of reshaped and rewritten into all sorts of different ways. Um, and I thought we could use it as a practical way of thinking how we can lead in love to others. So first of all, I wonder what your love language is. I'm going to read some things if, uh, that might help you. You may already be clear um, in your head, but I'm going to read through each of these, and I want you to try and imagine, think through which one do you most um, connect with. So, words of affirmation. If this is your love language, you feel most cared for when someone is open and expressive in telling you how wonderful they think you are, or how much they appreciate you. If this is you, words matter. Okay, you can see a few reactions around the room of people whose primary love language is words of affirmation. Okay, acts of service. Do actions speak louder than words for you? When someone offers you practical help, especially without you having to ask them, is this when you feel loved? So that's acts of service. Uh, receiving gifts. For you, a simple gift is more powerful than anything else. Someone who takes the time to find and give you a gift makes you feel appreciated. Or quality time. Uh, does giving, someone giving you their undivided attention, is that your best thing? This love language is about being together, being fully present, being engaged in the activity at hand, no matter how trivial. Somebody who's willing to spend time to listen to you. Or physical touch. Nothing speaks more deeply than appropriate touch. It could be as simple in a traditional church service as the handshake in the sharing of the peace. Or, or maybe it bugs you as you look around the room that we're, we're sitting all too much separate from one another and we should have got rid of some of the chairs so we could just be closer and next to each other. If those resonate with you, then perhaps it's physical touch. Now in a minute, I'm going to give you some silence just to think this through, and then we're going to chat to one another. And what I want you to do is, first of all, just think 
what's your uh, love language? Which one of those stands out most for you? The, the strength of that is to know who you are. But the weakness of that is that if unthought, that's how you will try and show someone else that you love, respect, or care for them. The trick with love languages is to figure out what the other person is. So you figure out what the other person is, and then you try to respond in a way that they will perceive as showing that you love, respect, or care for them. And so in a minute, in the choir, I want you to imagine a person that you're going to meet this week. So it could be someone at work, could be family, could be a neighbor, could be a student that you study with, could be someone you're meeting up with, could be anyone. Imagine, to do that now, imagine somebody that you're going to meet this week. It could be someone that you find difficult, could be someone you struggle with. It could be that annoying person in the office that frustrates you. Uh, it could be the person in the group and you're just wondering, oh, do I want them to come along? It, it doesn't have to be necessarily the person you most want to be, but it needs to be someone that you're going to meet this week. And then what I want you to do, and we'll just take 60 seconds to do this, is I want you to just in your, in your imagination figure out what is that person's love language. Just think about them. Just imagine what, how they respond to others, what things wind them up. And just think through, and you can look on the screen if we put the five things back. You can just see, and then just try and perceive which one it is. So let's do that now. <laughs> 